Well, we all love change, don't we? It was really weird, didn't it, you know, uh, to be doing it the wrong way around. Um, but uh, the subject of my uh, talk this morning is on being a people of praise. And so it seems like a, a silly thing to preach on a subject uh, and then we finish with just like one song and then we're done. When the whole subject and the focus of what I want to talk about this morning is about how we praise and worship God together as a people. So it's made so much more sense uh, to make us all feel really uncomfortable this morning uh, and to swap it all around. Uh, and sometimes it's good just to do things differently, isn't it? Just for, just for fun. Um, so I've, for those of you that don't know, I've been speaking uh, on uh, the church uh, and the different aspects of the church, what God has made us to be as a church. And this morning I want to talk about uh, being a people of praise. I believe that God has made the church a people of praise. And so I'd like us to uh, start by uh, reading Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and verses 19 to 22. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, feel free to, uh, to get them out. And I'm going to read this to us. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Now, in Ephesians, we've been looking at, Paul uses loads of different pictures or metaphors for the church. Uh, he uses things like the body, uh, the family, we've talked about. Uh, in here, uh, Paul is talking about the church as a temple, and the temple is really significant because the temple was the place of worship and praise in the Old Testament. It was the place where heaven met earth. And if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple because that was the place where God could be found. And you would go into uh, the, and there was lots of different like stages. You remember we've, we've talked about this before, but hopefully many of you have got that picture in your head. But there was like an outer court and then an inner court, and then right at the centre, in the middle, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where the presence of God was. God himself, that was his point of resting on the earth in those times. And so the temple was the place where the people would come together to worship God, to enjoy him, to celebrate him, but it was the place of the presence it was the place where the presence of God dwelt. The manifest, like, amazing presence of God was in that place. And so it's really significant that Paul is saying that the church is the new temple. The church is now the temple. The church is now the place where heaven meets earth. So if you want to find God, if you want to meet God, the place that you can do that is the church. That's significant, isn't it? That's really important because it means that when we gather together on a Sunday morning and we think to ourselves, oh well, we're just pitching up because Sunday church, that's what we do. What Paul is saying, no, no, you are the holy temple. This is the place where I meet my people. It's the place where God worships. I've got my water over there behind that. 
Um, and it's just really significant that we see ourselves not simply as just individuals turning up on a Sunday morning thinking, well, you know, here I am, but recognising that we are this amazing picture of God's temple where God can meet with his people. And so many people often ask this question, well, surely can't I just experience the presence of God alone? Can't I just meet God on my own in my house or in my bedroom or wherever I'm at when I'm walking down the street? Uh, and, and that's a great question. Um, and the answer to that question is, is found, I think, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And it says that you also, you and I, are living stones. Anyone heard that expression before? We're living stones. This building, probably, oh, it is, yeah, it's made up of bricks, right? Right, lots of different bricks in a wall. But what Paul is, uh, Peter is saying, and well, it's the same picture really, that we are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, we are living stones. We are part of this temple. So yeah, we do experience God individually because we are living. We, can't, we don't just experience God when we come to church. But what I think Paul is saying when he talks about us as a temple is he's saying there is a dynamic that can only be found when we meet together. There is something special about the church meeting together and the way the presence of God comes when we are together. And I don't know about you, but how many of us have been in church like, you know, meetings like this, or maybe we've just been in a home even with like, say, five, ten people, and you know the presence of God comes in a way that you can't experience just on your own. And that's why when we gather, that's why it's so important we understand the church's function as a temple, as a place of praise, and as a place where the presence of God dwells. So the temple, the church, is a place of the presence. It's the place where the presence of God comes. Now, some of you may ask this question, because I've, I've asked this question in my head. Well, <clears throat> surely the presence of God is with us always. Surely God is with us always, yes? Yeah? Amen? Yeah, God is with us always. His presence is with us always. But there is something about... The, uh, the experiential presence of God that happens when we meet together in a way that's different, isn't it? Um, and there was a, a guy called Watchman Nee who was a Chinese guy who was really kind of very spiritual and he used this phrase which I really like uh, and it talks about the nearness of God. That You know God is always with us but you sense that he is near, that he is really near me. You know when someone comes up close to you and he's right in your presence, right around you. And when we gather together, there is something of the nearness of the presence of God which comes, isn't there? And if you've, some of you, some of you in this room will have never experienced this. Some of us uh, know this as a regular experience, but for some of us, we won't have experienced this. I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been blessed to have been in experiences like this many, many, many times. But when the presence of God comes... It's deeply moving, isn't it? It's powerful. It comes in a way that you don't, you can't really put your finger on. And, and I think, you know, the best thing I can think of is it's like, it's like a glimpse of heaven. 
and you feel like in that moment when we are worshipping and praising God together and the Spirit of God comes, you feel like just for a moment, I don't know if you get sense, you just feel caught up into this place that feels like heaven. And I'm sure that it's almost like a window. You're looking through a little window, like maybe the window's a bit smudgy and a bit, a bit meery, right? But you're looking at what it will be like in heaven for eternity in those moments and it's, it's just amazing and when I find that we've been in that place of the presence and the spirit of God has come I don't know about you but I find that I leave changed I leave changed amen maybe by preaching second by, not, by preaching first you're quieter than you are normally right so it's like amen amen yeah good now, I can experience that presence in a personal way, and often I do experience that, per- that presence in a personal way. Often when I'm before God and I'm reading and I'm praying, I'm alone with God as I do, uh, as often as I can, uh, every day, there are times when God overcomes, like, comes to me in a really powerful way, and I am moved often to tears, and I'm aware of just his greatness and his power, my inadequacy, his, but yet his love for me. But I would say that there's nothing like the collective experience of being part of the presence of God. Because it's that sense of like, you know when everyone is at one, and we're moving as one heart towards God. And like you're listening to people praying, or you're listening to people singing, and there's something in your heart that's joined with their heart in a way that you can't explain, and you just feel like, I am just somewhere different here. And in that moment, you find that there's this sense of faith that rises, that we believe God can do things. I remember I was in a meeting a couple of years ago, and, um, and it was particularly one of a particularly powerful meeting. We were a group of MLG leaders, our network leaders gathered, and we were praying, and one of our, uh, our leaders was really struggling with something, and we were just worshipping God and we just had this sense that God was doing something really powerful in the spiritual places. Amen? And things were being changed and moved on a whole different level than we were able to see. And it was in that moment that we knew it was happening. And it wouldn't have happened if I'd just been praying on my own. But there was something about gathering together in those moments. And I have experienced it many times. And I want it to become a regular feature of what life is like as a church here. And I believe it already is, but I believe God's got more for us in this area. Amen? Amen. That God has got more of his presence. But this is the difficulty with the presence of God. This is the difficulty when we talk about the presence of God. We have to be really careful not to make the presence of God our goal. We have to be very careful not to make the presence of God our goal. Why do we have to be careful not to make the presence of God our goal? For this reason, if we're not careful, we start pursuing the gift rather than the giver. We start chasing the experience rather than the one who gives us the experience. And I think it's a really, really dangerous place to be because I suppose I've been down that road and I have found it to be uh, just an unhelpful place to be. Because primarily, when you're seeking after the presence, right, the question I always used to ask, but bear in mind I used to lead worship, I kind of just help out now, right, when we're short as we are today. Um, but when I used to lead worship, I would often find myself asking this question. How do we know, how do we measure whether or not we've entered the presence? I might have felt something. Did you feel something? Did you feel something? Yeah? Right? And we find ourselves asking this question, well, how do we know whether or not we, we, we did it? And so often, um, I would come away, and my biggest problem was I would come away from meetings like this disappointed. 
disappointed. I'd been with the people of God. I'd been enjoying being with the people of God, but I'd come away disappointed. And do you know why I'd come away disappointed? Because somehow I feel like maybe we didn't enter the presence, that we didn't have that experience that we were looking for, we were hoping. And so you say things like, well, oh, I don't know if God really showed up today. What do you mean, don't know if God showed up today? What a silly thing to say. Yeah, of course God shows up. When people, when two or three are gathered, who is there? Sorry, when two or three are there, who's there? God is there. Jesus is there, right? And so... We know that God's there, but often it just, oh, maybe God didn't show up and I'd feel disappointed or, or I'd feel like somehow maybe it was my fault. If I was leading the worship, maybe I picked the wrong set of songs. If I'd picked a better set of songs, right, maybe we would have had the presence. Maybe the presence would have come if I'd really sung. Maybe if so-and-so wasn't singing so badly out of key that was putting everybody, maybe if Mark wasn't singing in the middle of the meeting out of key, right, then really the presence of God would have come. And so you find yourself in this thing where you're sort of trying to like chase after this experience. And the danger is, the danger is, is it leads so often to intensity that is purely natural, right? And, and you know like where, I, I mean, I, I've been there, like it's like constipation, you know, that kind of, mm, Lord, Lord, would you come? You know, like, and it's just, and it's not of the Holy Spirit, it's just a pure, like, you know, human intensity. Like, come on, God, if I get really intense, then maybe you'll come. That just me? That's just me. No, it's just me. John's laughing at me, it's just me, clearly. Yeah, but I've been there, right? The other thing that happens, right, is that when we chase after the presence, we're so we can get sucked into being emotional rather than spiritual. And, and, and this is the great danger. I, I know I can do it. I, I had a very bad, I was in a very bad place with the Lord, right? Okay, and I, this is a confession, confessions of a worship leader, right, in my days. I was in a bad place with God. I was, I was, I was, frust, I was frustrated, I was angry, and I had to lead worship. I was not in a good place. And so I was like, fine, God, I'm going to completely do this without you. And I'm going to pick these songs. And I know if I pick these songs, I'll get all of these people to get really into it and emotional. And you know what? Worryingly, I could do it. Because I know if I sing that song in that order and do it in that way, that I can create a really good emotional response. Now, I'm sure that lots of people were worshipping God because God is much bigger than I am and my sinfulness, I had to get down and repent right, for that. But you know, you can create emotional experiences if you chase after the presence. That isn't really the spirit. It doesn't leave you changed. It just leaves you with an emotional feeling that evaporates away quite quickly. And the last danger is when you chase after the presence of God, there's a danger that you open yourself up to other spirits because you're seeking a spiritual experience and so you can expose yourself to things that are not of God but coming from outside. So we want this presence of God. We want this nearness of God, but at the same time, we can't make it our goal. We can't say, I've got to find this experience. So what's the solution? What's the answer to that? And it's this. I believe that God wants us to be a people of praise. A people of praise whose endeavour and focus and attention is on giving glory to God in every moment, in every situation, all the time. And let me explain to you why I think that's so important. The first is this, is that we were made to praise. I don't know if you realise that, but you are a praise machine, right? That is what you were made to do. You are physically, emotionally, spiritually wired to praise. And if you don't praise God, you'll praise something else, right? It's just who you are. 
right? And we were made to praise God. There's a famous, uh, it's called a catechism. We're not really into that kind of stuff here, right? Because it's too clever for us, right? Okay, but there's this thing that's very famous and it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it's so true. The chief end, the main purpose of humans in this world is to glorify God and enjoy him. Right? When we praise, we are doing what we were made to do. And we were made to praise. We were made to give God glory. And, so when, we, and when we praise something, the more you praise something, the more it completes your enjoyment of that thing. And, you know, I have found that the longer I've gone into my Christian life, right, that I, I, like, I you know, many of you know that I, I've been in leadership in various different roles. And when you're a leader, right, you can place a lot of value in how successful the thing is that you're leading. And I've realised as a leader that if I'm to be a good leader, a secure leader, a leader that builds a healthy church, I need to realise that my primary goal is not to grow the church, it's to glorify and enjoy God. That is my foundation. That is who I am. That's what God made me to do. And so everything I need to do is orientated towards this goal of being a person of praise. And we are to be a people of praise because it's who we are. Not only is it who we are, it's what the Bible commands us to do. I want it, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've still got your phones next to you and you're not checking Facebook but are actually writing notes, um, then can you go to Psalm chapter 34? And I want us to read this. And I'm going to get us to read it all together at the same time. Um, oh, that's maybe dangerous because we've probably all got different versions. Um, but <clears throat> um, So maybe we won't do that. Um, but I'll, I, we should have, I, I should have put it on the screen, shouldn't I? Um, but Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Amen. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I will bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall, what? Continually, forever and ever be in my mouth. Let us exalt his name together. You know, we were made to be praising God all the time. Praise is who we are. It's what we're made for. It's what the church exists to do, is to be a temple of praise that lifts up glory to God. And why do we do that? For this reason. Because he is worthy. You do know that, don't you? That he, God, is worthy of our praise. He is so good. He is so kind. He is so wonderful. He is just amazing. And you know, the longer I go on and the more I know of God, the more I realise that he is worthy of my praise. And I just want to give him praise because I love him. And the more I know of him, the more I want to praise him. Is that amen? You know, and do you know what? It says in Hebrews chapter 13, 15, it says, Therefore, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Praise is the upward focus of our heart towards God because he is worthy. 
And so when we talk about the temple and the place of the presence, we realise that we, if we are to enter the presence, we must enter it as a people of praise. And I want to talk about why praise is so important in coming into that place of the presence. The first reason is this, is praise has to become a habit. Praise has to become a habit. Now, I suppose I've learned something about habits over the years, um, and I've realised that I, I wouldn't say I'm an undisciplined person. Um, I'm quite relatively, I'm not as disciplined as my brother Pete. Anyone knows Pete? Pete's like metronomic, like I don't think Pete bothers with alarm clocks. I think his body just wakes him up at a certain time. Um, and I think he has a scheduled routine that never changes, you know. Um, that's how Pete operates. But I'm not quite like that. Neither am I completely undisciplined. But I realise that what I do habitually every day essentially is what I become. If I eat and binge on chocolate, we've just come back from a week's holiday, right? And our habit was every night after the kids went to bed to eat copious amounts of chocolate, right? Okay, that's what, that's what I love to do, as many of you know. Uh, praise the Lord. I once preached on this sermon uh, and someone came round to my house with two double-decker bars. Bless the Lord. Um, if anyone feels led to do that, I just say, go for it. Um, but, you, you know, if I, if I continually eat chocolate, what will happen? I get fat, right? I'll get fat, right? If I don't bother to go exercising and every day I choose to stay at home and watch TV, over time I will become unfit. Yeah, what I habitually do is what will, I will eventually make me become. Do you, do you understand? If I go running every day, I will become fit and I'll become healthier. If I eat healthy food, I'll become healthier. Yeah, it's just, it's just what we habitually do is what we become. We can't go running once and be like, I'm fit now. It doesn't work. And what you see, what, what you do habitually is what you will do when you are under pressure. And this is so key. When you are under pressure, you will go and do what feels natural. If I'm feeling bad about myself, right, or feeling stressed about a situation, what am I going to go and do in an evening? Eat chocolate. Amen. Because it's what I do habitually. Right? And God is changing me and making me realise that praise is not just something which happens by accident. It's a habit. It's something you have to build into every single day, every single moment. That's why we've read three verses this morning that have all talked about praise being continually on our lips. It's something we have to do again and again and it becomes natural and a routine because when then you are under pressure... When the world is falling apart around you, your heart will orientate to what is a habit, and the habit is to praise. And in praise, we find all kinds of liberty. We're going to sing a song, uh, which, I, which is an older song, which we don't sing so often, uh, but I love it, and it's a great song, and it says, Blessed be your name. You know it, don't you? When the sun is shining down on me, and the world is all as it should be, blessed be your name. Who finds it easy to praise when the world is all as it should be and the sun's shining down on me? Hands up who finds it easy. Amen. Hands, see, we're a hand-raising church. Amen. Right? But the second verse says, or the second like, like, phrase of that, that verse says, Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Because what, what Matt Redman, who wrote that song, has learned and experienced is that praise is a habit. I praise you in the good times. I praise you in the bad times. I praise you in the boring times. I praise you in the slow times. I praise you when, when I'm feeling on top of a mountain. I praise you when I'm trudging through the valley. I praise, I praise, I praise. 
You see, we should praise when we don't have a job. We should praise when, we feel, when we're sick or when those around us are sick. We should praise when we're hurting or we feel broken. We should praise at every moment because praise is what we were made to do and because God is worthy. You know, your situation may be dreadful and I totally get it. If your situation this morning is rubbish, I get it. I understand that. But God is still worthy to be praised. And your solution, your answer, I believe, is in praise. And so the next thing I want to talk about is that praise is a sacrifice. We read it, didn't we? Hebrews chapter 13. I will continually offer what? The sacrifice of praise. Praise that's really worthy of God comes, I believe, with a sacrifice. Because sometimes there is pain in the offering. When you feel like the world is not as it should be and you come to God and say, God, I don't want to be here this morning. I don't want to praise you, but I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you the best I have to give this morning. There is a sacrifice there. And I believe that when we come together as a group, as a family, and we all as these living stones building up the temple, and there is that concophony of praise of people that are saying, I will bring a sacrifice of praise. What do you think God wants to do? He wants to respond. He wants to come because he says, here's these people that love to praise me. And they're giving praise even though they don't want to praise me, even though it's hurting, even though there's pain in the offering. And the Lord's heart, I don't know about you, but when your children, if you've got kids and they come to you and you know that they're just, there's something soft in them and they're coming to you with the right attitude and the right heart, as a father, my heart cannot but help respond. And so rather than chasing the presence of God as some experience, I believe that we need to become habitually praising people again and again, every Sunday morning, every morning, every evening, every afternoon. Lord, I will praise you for your goodness. I will praise you for your greatness. And this is what I believe happens when we praise. We're using a phrase in MLG that, that was, a, it was a prophetic word uh, that I believe the Lord has kind of given and brought. And it talks about this the unexpected consequences of praise. The unexpected consequence, consequences of praise. And we believe that as we begin to praise, as we begin to worship God and lift up him and focus on him, that God does unexpected things. Right? I know there are people this morning that want to find a new freedom in God because of things that are pressuring them. And, and, and I, I want to tell you that I believe as you step out and praise God, as you give your heart to him and worship him with everything you've got, that you will find a liberty and a freedom. I believe it because I believe there's something that happens when we praise. I believe that's what God is calling us to do, is to be people who praise. I believe praise brings healing. I believe praise brings the overflow of the spiritual gifts. I think praise brings a deep unity in the church. I believe that as we step into praise, God will do unexpected things around us. And so that's why I think it's so important that we recognise our responsibility as a living temple. A temple of praises to God. We are, it says, we are priests and kings. So uh, part of my message this morning is that I want to be a bit practical, which is partly why I've done it first. And I want to just ask a couple of simple questions, really, about how we do this practically together. Um, how do we praise together? Well, I want to tell you about what I've, what I've been given instructing our worship leaders to do. Uh, Hannah's not here this morning, Alice. Miriam was obviously with us, they've, just, they've moved down to Heathfield. 
Um, and I want to tell you what I've been asking them to do, so you're clear when they do what they do, that you understand why they're doing it, right? Now, there's a lot of talk and emphasis placed, isn't there, in the modern church on worship leaders, yeah? And, and, and that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, all right? And I think, actually, they, they have a vital God-given role to bless the church, don't they? And I don't know about you, but we should be really thankful for what these, these folk bring week in, week out, because it's a tremendous blessing to us. But you know what I've asked them to do, first and foremost, above everything else, is not to be worship leaders, right, or, wor- or praise leaders, but to be lead worshippers or lead praisers, right? In the end, I believe that you can, you can have a, a worshipper, right, you can have someone standing at the front who leads the singing, but they're not really leading the worship. And I tell you, you can see other people and they come and their heart is so full of the love of the Lord and praising God that you are just somehow caught up by their example. And I believe that it's the example that they set when they stand in their heart and their attitude which communicates the Spirit of God and leads us in. It's not just what they do, it's the way they do it. Amen? And it's the heart and the attitude that says, I am here to just come and praise God with everything I have, believing that other people will somehow move in behind me in doing that. Do you understand the difference? Their job is not to turn around with a, there's a, I'd love to put it on the screen. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know what a meme is? A meme, it's a silly picture, right? Okay, and then there's some captions above it. And there's a, one of my favourites is a picture of um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson with a gun. And it says, worship leaders, be like, lift your hands. Yeah, like, so basically, um, you know, because sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in worship meetings where you feel like the worship leader's like, come on, no one's singing this morning. Why are you not singing? They're not saying that, but that's what they're really communicating. Come on, everyone get into it. And, and actually, what you want to just say is, I'm here to worship. I might be on the guitar, but I'm just worshipping this morning God. And I believe that if they do that, they are setting an example for us to follow. Does anyone remember, um, uh, big up my sister-in-law here, do you remember Sarah, Sarah Elks? Some of you remember Sarah. Um, and Sarah, she's got a lovely voice, but she didn't ever play an instrument. But the number of people that have commented about Sarah, both in this church and the church she went to, were like, there was something different about you. When you stood on the stage and you sang, you worshipped. And it did something in my heart. I watched you and there was something in my heart that just started to rise to God because I saw that you were worshipping God. And that's what I want for our worship leaders, amen? Is that we look at them, we see that heart of genuine worship. The second thing I've asked our leaders to do is to pick good songs, right? Now, there are many, 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 many worship songs that are produced every year Right, by the various different worship leaders and songwriters. Uh, and some of them are absolutely brilliant, some of them are average, some of them are quite bad, um, <clears throat> uh, just to put it out there. Um, but what we sing in this church makes a big difference. Right? And this is what I've asked them to do. I've asked them to choose songs which point us towards Jesus. I've asked them to choose songs which focus us not on ourselves, but on the glorification of God. Right, that focus on us singing about him, singing about his greatness, not about my problems or my needs, but about God. Because I believe that as we focus on God, as we orientate our hearts in praise towards him, that he will meet the needs that we have. Amen? But if we come in and we're like, oh Lord, I need this, I need that, I just believe that we're so short-sighted. Once we get a vision of who God is, it changes us. And so I've asked them to uh, lead in good songs uh, and uh, the last thing I've asked them to do 
is to do is to maintain momentum. Maintain momentum. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, uh, for those of you that are newish to our church, we have come from a house church movement where uh, basically uh, you, we started off in houses and so everybody kind of came and brought something and contributed. And that's lovely and it's brilliant and I think there's something very special about that. Um, but equally, uh, particularly as the church gets bigger, uh, we can get to situations where uh, you know, we end up with kind of periods of awkward silences. Um, and particularly in British culture, that can be awkward and distracting. I, I'm not against spiritual silence. There's a difference between awkward silence and spiritual silence. Yeah? Um, but I've asked our leaders to ma- help us maintain momentum. So to say, look, we're not going to stand around and wait and see what happens, but actually we're just going to continue to press on and sing together and worship together collectively. And if people have got something that they want to say or they want to pray out or speak out, that's fine. But we're not going to stand around waiting to see if someone has something to say. Um, And that doesn't mean that's the case in home groups, that's fine, but in our context, I want us to continually be focused and keeping our hearts and minds focused on God. Because so often what happens, and this is maybe my experience, but I think it's the experience of, of, of many of us here, is that we can be really focused on God and sometimes there's stuff other than happens, it's just a distraction. It's just a distraction. I believe that the Lord wants us to encourage, to focus on praising him. And I want to ask you the question, if you are going to contribute in one of our meetings, um, I, that's great, and I'm, I'm not against that at all, but I, I want to just challenge us on the why we contribute towards uh, public meetings, all right? Um, because I know I've contributed sometimes for the wrong reasons in meetings. Um, and, and these are the three reasons which I've contributed to meetings which have not been helpful. Uh, the first is this, right, is that God has been speaking to me in, in the week, right, and I think it's the best thing that God has ever said to me, and it's amazing. And so I just assume that, therefore, I should come on a Sunday morning and everybody needs to know about what the thing that God's been speaking to me about. Now, that may be true. God may have given me something that he wants me to share with everybody. But equally, he may have given me something that actually is just for me. And it's something that God, can just, God is speaking to me. It doesn't mean I have to share it out in a public meeting. The second thing that happens often, and the reason I've contributed in meetings, is is the, oh no, there's awkward silence, someone better do something, right? Um, There is a space in the meeting, someone quick, they better fill it, right? And so what happens is I have prayed things just because I just find the silence awkward. It's not necessarily of the Spirit, it's not necessarily of the Lord, it's just I'm trying to fill an awkward space, right? Uh, And the third reason, and this is the thing that really, I have to be honest, I've done, and it grates with me when others do it, and there are people that do it from time to time, is that when there are people that feel that they need to tell everybody else to worship, right? So through their prayer, they're saying, oh Lord, thank you, you're here. I pray that you would help everybody else here who's not worshipping to get worshipping now. Do you know what I mean? Is that just me, right? Okay, And, and in a sense, do you know what encourages me to worship? is you worshipping, is you praising, is you giving your best to the Lord. As you do that, it will do something in me. You don't need to tell me that I need to praise and worship God, right? If you do that and I hear that, there's something in my heart that will respond. Do you understand what I mean, right? Is that as we come to God and we worship him, we're not trying to just fill a space or just trying to share whatever's come to our head, but we're waiting on God and bringing that which is of God, I believe that we will experience a fresh blessing 
of him. And so as we worship, as our worship leaders lead us, I want us just to think as we worship and we praise God, what am I bringing? Is it for the benefit and the uplifting of everybody around me? So that's what I've asked our worship leaders to do. Just to finish, I want to talk about the expressions of praise. How do we express praise? Well, the Bible gives us so many different ways that we can express praise. We can express praise through speaking, through shouting, through singing, through bowing down, through dancing, playing instruments, clapping, lifting our hands, spiritual songs, tongues, raising a banner, which is kind of subtext for flag waving, I believe. Um, And that's just some of the ways that the Bible says that we can praise God. I just want to say that all of those things are welcome in this church. Right? If you're a dancer, dance. Hands, we'll see you at the end. Okay? <clears throat> um, right? All of those things are welcome because their expressions, praise has to have an expression. It has to come out, doesn't it? Now, some of you here, right, I'm going to pick on my friend Chris, right, who's very happy this morning because he's South African. Those of us that know Chris know that Chris is more introverted, right? So it's unlikely, unless the Lord does something miraculous, that Chris is going to be dancing up and down the aisles, right? He's more of an introvert, right? But you know that there are expressions that God has for you to bring praise, right? And we want these meetings, this, this temple, the church, to be a place where there is all kinds of expressions of praise, Amen. Right, where we're thinking about one another, right, and we're going for it in the way that we do it. But we need to recognise that just because someone praises differently to you, or they don't do what you think they ought to do, doesn't mean they're not praising. Yeah? Because we've got introverts, extroverts, and some everyone somewhere between, right? Um, I would challenge you on this, though. Sometimes bringing the sacrifice of praise means expressing praise in ways that you are not naturally comfortable with. Right? I am not, I, have, I was always known for being slightly anti-flag, right? mainly because I think they're dangerous. Right? And the number of people in our previous church that got taken out by flags. I always remember Jim. Do you remember Jim got hit over the head by Joe Murphy? Right? They had Pete and Mary in the church that was previously. Right? It's hilarious. Great moment. Right? Okay, but it's, it, but I, I used to find it a little bit like, oh, really, flags? Come on, Lord. Right? And then I was like, okay, I came to a place where the Lord challenged me and like, Tim, you need to accept that flag waving is okay. And I was like, all right, Lord, okay. And then I was in a meeting one day and the Lord said, pick up a flag. And I said, no, 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 I'm not picking up a flag. The Lord was like, pick up a flag. I was like, really? I was like, yeah. So I had to pick up a flag and had to wave a flag, right? Because, and the Lord was saying to me, Tim, I want you to be free to praise and worship me. And it doesn't matter about the expression you've got. And you might find it, you know, not what you want to do, but you have to bring a sacrifice of praise. And the Lord blessed me because I did what was not natural to me. So I want to encourage you that you have to bring expression to your praise. When you come here, if we're all sat here like this on a Sunday morning, mm, praise you, Lord. I would suggest there's not a lot of praise going on, right? Because there's no expression. If there's no expression, but there has to be expression to our praise. And I just want to pick a couple of them um, just to finish on. Because uh, some of you, again, we've got a church, many people have not been to church at all before their experience of coming to church here. And many people have, have maybe not had much church experience. But I want to just talk about one or two of them. I want to talk about lifting hands, right? 
Okay, I think lifting hands is a really good way of expressing praise to God. Um, but I just want to say there are some, some there is a, a guide if this would help you, right? So if you're a beginner hand, wave, hand raiser, okay, you can just go for the elbow flap, right? Okay, right? Okay. Or, or what you could do, if you're new to it, you can carry the TV. Mm. Carry the TV, right? Okay. Or if you're really like kind of stretching, you can go big screen. Yeah, go widescreen, carry the widescreen, right? Okay, and then if you're, maybe you're feeling a bit more confident, maybe you can just hold the baby, right? Hold the baby, or if you're really good, you can go Mufasa, right? Okay. Uh, uh, for those of you that are a bit more advanced, right? For the, there's more advanced moves if you want to step into them. There's changing the light bulb, yeah? Okay, there's heartburn, yeah, if you get heartburn. Uh, and then there's the one-hander, there's the you're out, right, okay. Uh, there's the chopper and there's the high five, yeah. Okay, so if you want to step into that, you can. But for those of us that are really full-on praisers, yeah, you can go YMCA, yeah, okay. Uh, or you can go touchdown, yeah, all right. But you can express yourself in all kinds of different ways. But lifting your hands, I believe, is an important, simple expression that we can bring to worship. Because when we lift our hands, right, I don't know about you, but if I lift my hands, if I close my eyes, right, if Patrick wanted to come and punch me in the stomach, right, please don't, um, <clears throat> I am vulnerable, aren't I? And it's an act of surrender, it's an act of vulnerability, of dependence on God, but it's also a sense of, Lord, I'm receiving, I'm receiving a gift. So I'd encourage you, if you're not a hand raiser, go for it, just carry the TV, right, okay? It's not hard. Uh, and the last thing I want to finish with is talking about, the, I think, the importance of singing. The importance of singing in praise, right, is that God does not care whether you can sing or not. Amen, Mark. <laughs> Hand raise, right? <clears throat> there are many in this church, I was, we were in a meeting, and the Lord was really, we had a sense of the presence of God in what, the way I'm talking about in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, but I have to say, I was finding it quite difficult because I was Mark on one ear and Terry on the other ear, and it was a small room, right, okay? And neither of them have particularly got the most kind of beautiful uh, Celine Dion type voices, okay? Um, but they were singing. But do you know what? It was uplifting to my spirit because what you hear in singing is the heart. And if you're singing, Lord, thank you, blessed be your name, for the land that is plentiful, your heart is not singing. You sing not with your lungs, not with your mouth, you sing with your heart. That's why they say the best singers, like the best performers, you know, when they watch it, anyone watch The X Factor, right? Or have watched The X Factor? And they say things like, oh, I could really feel it. Do you, do you know, I could really feel you singing that song. Or they say, it was okay, but didn't feel it. Because sometimes when someone sings something and it means something, it comes out in the way you sing. And you know, when you're struggling, and the great thing about being a church, particularly a smaller local church, is I know each of you, and I know what you're struggling with, and I know the things that you're finding difficult generally. So when you're standing there with all of your heart, singing at the top of your lungs, blessed be your name, when, this, when the road is marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, it does something to me. You haven't got to say it or speak it. I know it because I hear you singing and I hear you're not just speaking to God, you're speaking to those around you. And so I love it when I hear the volume of singing is just loud because it's loud with the heart of God praising God. Amen.